Hey everybody, welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host Andrew Schiestel, joining the show today from Tunisia. And this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean basin. Today I'm joined with Dr. Seth Kendall. On July 9th, 2021, Professor Federico Santangelo of Newcastle University joined the show and we had a conversation that acted as an overview on the social war, a war that lasted approximately five years. And I thought it would be a constructive publishing exercise to now produce a series of episodes where each episode covers one year of the five years of the social war. And in addition to Dr. Santangelo, Dr. Kendall is an expert on this subject and he agreed to come on the show and cover the first of five years of the social war. Dr. Kendall is Associate Professor of History at George Gwinnett College, based in the U.S. His primary research is on ancient Rome during the Republican period with secondary fields in classical Greece and late antique and minor fields in ancient and medieval science and technology. He's author of the book, The Struggle for Roman Citizenship, Romans, Allies, and the Wars of 91 to 77 BCE, which was published by Gorgias Press. And Dr. Kendall joins the show today from the state of Georgia in the U.S. Welcome to the show, Seth. Thank you for having me. Um, when I was uh, younger, um, so I've been, been through Georgia. Actually, I've been, to, I've been to Atlanta as an adult for a conference. So I certainly, um, uh, certainly remember that and uh, enjoyed my time in, in Atlanta. Um, but the first time I actually went uh, through Georgia, I think I was probably 14 or 15 years old at the time. And uh, uh, it's very, it's kind of a memorable trip. Uh, it was with my parents um, and very grateful for, for, for the trip and the, the experiences. It would have been at that time. So we were actually going down to spring training, um, like ba baseball season in, uh, in Florida. So, so I think if I recall, we went from Ontario and Canada um, so St. Thomas, Ontario, where I was raised, which is two hours east of Detroit, two hours west of, of, of Toronto. So, we, we, so, so when, you go that, when you take that trip by, by car, so what we ended up doing was we made it to Georgia in the first, first, first day. And uh, I, I know there's a lot of things that stands out with uh, the state of Georgia, but two things that stood out for me, um, my first experience there were the quality of the pecans, and the hot weather, because it was March at that given time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, both of those are things for which Georgia is famous. Of course, also the peaches, but... I've heard, I've heard as well, yeah. And I don't know if we tried pe peaches at that given time, but we definitely uh, loaded up on uh, loaded up on pecans um, while, while we were there and uh, was the furthest south that I'd ever, ever been. Of course, we made it to Florida, to the Dunedin, being, uh, growing up being a Toronto uh, Blue Jays fan, right? So we got, we got over to uh, the Dunedin area. And if I recall, I think we stayed in Clearwater, which was uh, kind of the Tampa Clearwater area, which Clearwater is the uh, Philadelphia Phillies. All right, so, so great to connect with you, Seth. Um, so let's start with, um, for, for anyone who is new to the, um, to the conversation of the so social war, and we are covering more the first year of the social war today, but to create sufficient background, for everyone listening, and then we can work our way into the details of the first year. Seth, can you share what the social war was? Yeah, the Bellum Sociale, which is the English translation, or the English transliteration of so, uh, the Latin original of social war, was a conflict fought between the Romans and their Italian allies. 
these were people predominantly, though not always, people with whom the Romans had waged a war in the past, and as a as the course of settling that war, had struck up a treaty called the Foetus, um, which ever after made their former enemies into allies. And the Romans did this usually in lieu, I mean, in lieu of complete conquest. Uh, they would sometimes take allied territory, but by and large, they would leave them independent and alone, with the sole exception that the allies were required to furnish soldiers for whenever the Romans needed them for military campaigns. And over time, it progressed to the point where the Romans, um, the Romans were the ones who dictated when the war should be fought. The allies were just required to, to furnish the soldiers. Now, the Romans would send their army if the allies were ever threatened, uh, but the allies were expected to send their war. I mean, it, it wasn't just a defensive alliance. If the Romans went um, on a uh, sort of uh, an expedition overseas to Spain, for example, the allies were required to send soldiers. And over time, this relationship between Romans and allies got increasingly more exploitative until the allies finally had enough of it, uh, formed an alliance between themselves and waged war on Rome, starting in the year 91. What year, the, the treaty that you referenced, what, what year or circa was that treaty entered into by the parties? Oh, uh, it was throughout Republican history. So uh, the Romans' first treaties, uh, that which we have record, I believe, was a treaty with the with the Latins, uh, the so-called Foetus Cassianum, and that spelled out a prototype for how it was going to go. But as the Romans uh, encountered each people, uh, the, the Etruscans and the Latins were first. Then they uh, waged war along the line, eventually with. Um, the uh, Piceni and the West, the Westini the West and Maricini and Marci, very importantly. Um, then later the Samnites, Lucani, and the Herpini and the Aqui um, and the Umbrians. As the Romans waged war with each of these groups, as they did separately over the course of about 400 years or so, they struck up a treaty each time. So it wasn't one particular signal event. It happened over the space of about four centuries. Yeah, I'm glad you expanded on that. I think that's an important um, uh, point, and it, it sounds like um, prag pragmatic as, as well. Um, so what is known about then? So leading up to 91, so before 91 occurs BCE, um, what would what's known about the the geopolitical environment at at that at that point in time? Can you it, it share more about what's known about the that that milieu at, at that point in in, in time it, um, between the allied communities and in uh, Rome? Well, in about the century before the war broke out, uh, well, the the century and a half before the war broke out. Uh, the Romans had progressively begun to wage war outside of Italy itself, as it had not up to that point. I mean, they had uh, repulsed incursions by the Gauls, so when they invaded, but they did so in Italy itself. Um, but beginning around 264, the Romans began to 
and began to get involved in overseas entanglements. A 264, of course, is the beginning of the, uh, well, the 264 is around the beginning of the First Punic War, and the First Punic War was not fought predominantly in Italy. Uh, it was fought in Sicily, at that point not a part of the Roman territory, uh, on the ground, and of course it was fought by sea as well. And uh, within 40 years, they were involved in the Second Punic War. And while a significant, while these significant battles of the Second Punic War did uh, did take place in Italy itself, a not substantial amount of fighting was also done in Sicily, which had then become uh, annexed by the Romans, and in Spain, and then of course later on to uh, to Carthage itself. The Romans eventually would fight a third war with Carthage and establish a presence in northern Africa. They, uh, in the aftermath of the Second War, uh, which concluded around 202, in the aftermath of the Second War, the Romans uh, launched an expedition to punish those uh, Macedonian kingdoms that had made overtures of alliance with the Carthaginians. And the Romans were now involved in Greece and began to expand, I mean, eventually to Pergamum and uh, all the way to Egypt. So you know, the, the Romans were getting involved in bigger wars that lasted much longer. And this had a direct uh, effect on allied dissatisfaction because whereas previously they would have to fight wars in Italy where if necessary they could take furloughs or you know, it wouldn't take very long to, to conclude battle. I mean, the the first Punic War lasted for tw over 20 years, and the Allies were expected to serve alongside the Romans for all 20 of them. Uh, the Second Punic War lasted about that long, too. So Allies in Spain, were, or even, even Italy itself, they were mobilized for 16, 17 years at a time. Then they were sent off to Greece, or then they were sent back to Spain, because as part of the Second War, the Carthaginians were compelled to evacuate Spain, and the Romans decided that they would take up that sphere of influence, which involved fighting. So the Allies, Allied soldiers were now being sent to these far-flung territories, far from home, and were fighting in some cases for decades at a time. Too many withdrawals and not enough deposits by the, by the Romans? Something along those lines. It wasn't just that. It's that the Roman soldiers never had it exactly easy. But the Allied soldiers had it even less easy than the Romans did. Uh, and I, I talk about this extensively in my book. But, for example, the, uh, the Roman state um, by the 300s BCE, and when precisely this happened, we don't exactly know. But by the 300s BCE, the Romans uh, paid a tax called a tributum, which, by which their soldiers were paid and um, and equipped. And in the 160s BCE, when the Romans conquered basically all of Greece, they got enough because they, they compelled the Greeks to remit the taxes that they were formerly paying to their Macedonian overlords to the Romans. So much wealth and, of course, spoil and things like that, so much wealth into the treasury that after the year 168, for about 120 years, Romans didn't pay taxes, but the Romans did not bother to pay for allied weapons and allied salaries, so they were paying taxes to fight Roman wars, whereas the Romans themselves weren't paying them. 
as far as manpower goes, um, Roman discipline was notoriously harsh, but the Roman general was constrained by how, for lack of a better term, uh, sanguine he could be about punishing his soldiers because eventually they would go back to Rome and would become voters. And if you ever wanted to have a political career, uh, he wouldn't want he would want his soldiers to vote for him, and he wouldn't necessarily get that if he was some sort of martinet. So uh, he would have to be somewhat sparing on the rod, if you will, which was in that case literally he would have to spare the rod. Um, but he didn't have to do that for Italians since they didn't vote. So he could exercise harsh Roman discipline on Italians as an example to the others while never actually, or while rarely meeting out that punishment to them. Um, the Romans up to about the year 100 or so entered the army by means of a draft called the Delectus. And usually what happened is the initial soldiers would be drafted and then every year the war went on, there would be a supplementary draft to make up for losses. If military service became too onerous, the Romans could rely on their popular elected officials, the tribunes, to cancel the draft. And they did this a couple of times. Um, they wouldn't have to go, but the allies still would. They would have to raise their soldiers, even if the Romans didn't themselves come through with their part in it. Um, and so there were things like that. Um, probably the, the, one of the most galling things was economic, as it so often was. When the Romans won a war, or when they waged a successful battle, what would happen is they would, and they had specialists to do this, they would gather together all the spoil taken from the enemy's camp, taken off the dead bodies, rings, things like that, or if it was a city that was sacked, they would have specialists extract everything of value, everything that could be moved of value. And then what would happen is um, there were contractors, believe this or not, that followed the Roman army that would liquidate that in the process. So they would bid on how much all of that was worth, except for a couple of choice pieces that usually the generals would get to keep. And they would hand over to the general a huge sum of money. And one of the things that he could do with that is he could divide that up amongst all his soldiers each getting a, the same share based on rank. So private soldiers all got the same amount, whether they were actually in the thick of battle or doing latrine duty at the time. Um, all the legati or lieutenants got the same amount, the general got the most himself. And he could divide this amongst all the soldiers, but didn't have to include the Italians as often or as occasionally he didn't. Um, it became increasingly customary after the battles were over for the generals to try and get land for their veterans, um, sort of, sort of, as sort of a bonus. If for some reason, they're, they're, uh, they had they could increase their land holdings this way, and Italians were not necessarily eligible for for this uh, this distribution. So they had you know, in battle itself, the general had to be very careful about casualties. Now, Roman generals never let casualties concerned them about winning, but it wasn't that it was on, wasn't on their minds. If they could win a battle by sacrificing fewer men, they would choose to do that. If there were battles that had to be won by means of sacrifice, though, the Roman generals would always choose the Italians first. The uh, historian E.T. Salmon once said that Roman generals would be quite content to fight the last Italian. So they got the worst of everything in terms of military service and often didn't get the, the same benefits out of it that Roman soldiers did. 
the geographic demarcation um, can you so so at the start of the at the start of the war can you share if someone was looking at the peninsula on on a map and this might not be a simple thing to explain which is probably why it's an important question can you <laughs> can can you explain um, you know the in, in in the in 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 the you know in a reasonable amount of time that we that we have you can certainly um, uh, you know, lim limit parts of the answer to get the point across. But can you share what uh, Rome's geographic demarcation of their state would have been at that at, at that point in time? And then you did mention. Uh, I don't want to make this question too omnibus, but you mentioned some different different uh, groups like the Etruscans and the and the Samnites. So maybe just br bringing in more general language about where how, you know where where those uh, some of these different communities or states would have been. Yeah, um, the, the city of Rome itself occupied it, its own territory and a certain amount of land outside of it. And this land that they occupied and was considered part of Roman territory where Roman citizens lived was called the Ager Romanus. And uh, it's difficult to put a, a finger precisely on how much of that they occupied, but for about a couple of hundred miles outside of the city of Rome itself, that was considered full-fledged Roman territory. And then to the north, there was the Etruscan territory, the Umbria territory, uh, occupying modern Tuscany. And that was distinct from Agia Romanus, Roman territory. Uh, and then slightly to the south of Rome, in what would now be called the Mesogiornia, uh, there were the uh, territory occupied by the Samnites. Uh, in fact, the people who live in the area still proudly call themselves Sanio. Um, and you know, as you get to become further south, uh, there was the, the, the heel of, of, of Rome, and I always get this wrong, but I think, believe the heel of Rome was then uh, uh, under the control of the Apuleans, and the instep was under the control of the Bruti, though I think I keep getting switched because they, they, they changed uh, territories at some point or another. Um, right around the Mediterranean, there were the Marsi, and on the western coast of Italy, there were the, uh, the Picini and the Westini. And so Essentially, most of the allies who fought against the Romans, the Etruscans were a conspicuous exception. They were, and they were late enemies anyway. But most of the Roman, most of the allies who fought against the Romans, uh, beginning around ninety-one, were located to the south of Rome. And now the Romans themselves would not necessarily have recognized that east distinction uh, because they they included all of Italy and indeed beyond too as part of their territory as the territory over which they held imperium or sway but the land over which they had direct control where other people didn't live and didn't make their own laws or where other people lived and or didn't live and didn't make their own laws as what happened with the allies uh, that was about 100 miles or 200 miles or so diameter from the city of rome itself and most of the allies occupied communities to the south of that does that answer the question yeah, it's very, very uh, uh, excellent, Seth. Thank you. Yeah, it definitely does, especially for the for the time, because we, we obviously don't want to spend most of the hour on uh, geography. Um, but something stood out though um, that I want to that I want to follow up uh, a question uh, with. So if someone in this hypothetical, obvious, but obviously, but if someone was asking um, uh, Samnite what Rome's territory 
is or was depending on when 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 it's asked right um if someone's asking a samnite and then and then asking a roman where rome's territory is they're gonna they'd probably get different different answers yeah the 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 samnite unless you were particularly bitter that morning would say that samnium was its own independent thing not part of roman territory though if you were feeling bitter you would say but of course the romans like to think that they control this territory anyway uh, the Romans would, and the Romans would give basically the opposite answer. Uh, they would say, well, all of Italy, or in fact, all of the Mediterranean is Roman territory. But if pressed, well, the Romans control, they have their direct hands on this circle of land. Yeah, I think it adds to the, to the dialogue, just to understand more of the, 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 the psyche at, at play with the different parties um, in this period of time. Um, okay, so what... Uh, what do you want to cover for the uh, what's known about the the first year of the war? I guess is that uh, that's ninety one. Yeah, well, there are a couple of things that need to be mentioned about that that we need to go back a little bit further. Um, we don't exactly know when the Allies decided to wage the war that they waged, and importantly, um, there is some disagreement about what the actual Allied purpose was. Um, and and in the in the ancient sources are comparatively uh, uh, they're comparatively clear on this. What the, but clear when it comes to ancient sources, many of them in Greek uh, and some of them in Latin as well. Um, the Latin is ambiguous about this. They said the Romans fought for it. They were speaking Greek. They fought, or the, the Allies fought for it. They're speaking Greek. They fought for eleutheria, which meant freedom. Uh, the, the Roman the Roman sources, this one speaking Latin, written in Latin, would say that they fought for libertas, liberty. But that doesn't exactly narrow it down. A lot of people using the American frame of reference assume that when the Allies were fighting for freedom or liberty, they were fighting for independence. And that makes things a little odd because their stated goals up to and, and, and after the year 91 was that they didn't want complete independence from Rome. What they wanted to do was to be made Roman citizens. And Roman citizens in the most full and completest form. They would have voting rights, they would have complete freedom in the city, they would have these, these um, they would have to have consideration for the way their soldiers were used. If they were Roman citizens, they would have to be treated the same way that all Romans were. So unless the Allies decided that they wanted they wanted to be Roman citizens so badly that in the end they just declared independence, which does make a lot of sense, that what happened is they fought a war to get the Romans to acquiesce to making them citizens, which again sounds like a weird way to go about it. Um, there, are, there are variations on this in the modern scholarship. There, there are quite a few scholars. Arthur Keaveny was one, may he rest in peace. Uh, Henrik Moritzen is another who suggest that they may have been waging a war for independence the entire time. It is possible that different allies made common cause with each other, but they wanted different things. That ma the majority of them, the Marci, the Westini, the Herpini, the uh, uh, Piscini, just for a random example, they wanted to be Roman citizens, but the Samnites apparently didn't want to be. They wanted complete independence, and they thought, well, we'll join together for this common cause if we win, you guys could be Roman citizens, and the Romans will, will just leave us alone. 
So that that's one of the things that needs to be understood, that there's no ironclad consensus in either the classical or the modern sources about why the war was fought. My, my take is that it was a, uh, a war to compel the Romans to, uh, to grant citizenship. Um, and then when the Romans sort of tried to give a, a sort of second-class citizenship, they had to, there were re, uh, continued outbreaks of violence. When it is the Italians first conceived of that notion, we don't exactly know. But we know that there were things that began to push them in that direction. And one of them was the activities of Tiberius Sempronius Gracchus, who was active in the 130s BCE. And I'm not sure if you've covered uh, Gracchus in another podcast. If you haven't, by the way, it would be it would be something worth exploring. But what Gracchus wanted to do was he wanted to disseminate this. Uh, he wanted to distribute land that the state of Rome held, but did not yet have a private occupant. Uh, it was called public land or agriculturalism, and he wanted to give that to Rome's poorer citizens because when he did, uh, A, he would turn poor people into well-off people. B, he would get them out of the metropolis itself, which, which uh, led to disease and crime. But importantly, based on what he himself said, C, uh, by owning land, he would turn these poor people who are not eligible for the army, for the draft, for the delectus, into people who were. So he could solve Rome's manpower crisis this way. And in so doing, he could relieve some of the pressure on the allies. Now, the problem was, was it was not necessarily always clear what land that the Romans claimed that they owned, they actually owned, and what land still belonged to the allies. Um, so when he went to, to go about this distribution, he would sometimes take land, or he intended to take land, that maybe was had disputed ownership, but to to buy them off, he floated the idea that perhaps, uh, and he did this, and his brother Gaius did this too, that perhaps the allies would be willing to part with some of their land if they could get Roman citizenship. Um, and they were enthusiastic about the idea, but while Gracchus was able to pass his land reforms, he couldn't quite get the authorization to extend the citizenship to these Italian communities from whom he might be taking land. And Gaius, Tiberius Gracchus couldn't do it, and Gaius Gracchus couldn't do it. And in, so beginning around the, the 130s, there kept being these sort of feelers that were sent out to the allied communities. Would you accept Roman citizenship in favor, uh, in, in place of land? And the answer they got was usually an enthusiastic, yes, we would. But I mean, the Allies were thought, well, okay, we'll, we'll just we'll lose some land, but we'll get the citizenship. And then the Romans kept yanking the offer back. And there was a, another attempt to extend the citizenship in the 120s, and that got yanked back again. And in the uh, in the year 91, there was a remarkable tribute tribune rather named Marcus Livius Livius Drusus, who wanted to do the same thing that Gracchus had done. He wanted to uh, restart distribution and he basically made this promise to the to the allies we will get you such shit if you'll if you'll help with the distribution if you'll if you won't make uh, make trouble and uh he, he got the law passed but then it got struck down again and uh Drusus himself was murdered um and apparently this was the last straw the romans kept offering and then yanking it back again 
and that compelled the Allies to start the process of forming their own alliance to compel the Romans to give what they had previously semi-offered but never followed through with. Okay, thank you for expanding on that background and also making the, um, the, the recommendation of that additional source. Um, and, and before we get more into the first, first year, I want to clarify as well, um, when, when scholars are leaning on the, uh, the accounts of, of this war, is, is there any, does anything survive from any um, writers that aren't uh, Roman per, per, per se? Can, I don't think we have to spend a lot of time on the sources. But just so that um, everyone listening is, is clear about the sources, is, is, are, we, are we strictly, do, do scholars strictly rely on uh, Roman sources or does anything else survive past uh, other than Roman sources? There are occasionally Greek sources that one can consult. Um, most of the people who were writing in Greek at the time were by this point Roman citizens because the stuff that survives in Greek um, was after citizenship was extended broadly to most of, uh, of uh, Roman territory. Um, the principal source on this conflict, the one that is the most expansive, is Appian of Alexandria. And he was, Ro uh, he was Roman, but he got his citizenship comparatively late. So he had spent a good deal of time not Roman. Um, I can't quite remember if citizenship was extended to Sicily at this point, but there are fragments of a Greek-speaking historian named Diodorus of Sicily, or Diodorus Siculus. So he, if he was a Roman citizen, it had been comparatively recently granted. Um, everything else that remains, though, were composed by people who were Roman, not necessarily writing in Rome's language. In fact, um, the, the source that we wish we had the most uh, would have been Livy, who definitely covered this period, but the, period, the books in which he covered it don't survive, except in a, a summary form, so a couple, of, a couple of sentences summarizing an entire book of Livy, which is you know, <laughs> a remarkable feat of condensation. Um, so we, we, we don't necessarily have the, the, uh, a whole lot of sources uh, written by non-Romans at the time, and um, the, the ones that we do uh, were written centuries after the conflict. Okay, and of course, doesn't that? What's that? Seven hundred and thirty years. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and and certainly, uh, you know, on given topics, it doesn't necessarily discredit, um, you know, what's what's written, but um, it's it's oh, it's a it's a conflict of interest that you know needs to be de you know de declared, and then and then I know that scholars then. Uh, go go through it and try to determine the level of bias if there was bias and the level of bias, etc. When they're reading the the various accounts. Yeah, I mean the the allies themselves the, the allies themselves leave behind no written account of anything um, except what you get in random inscriptions. But there's no narrative account of this or any other war with Romans. So everything we know about Rome's conflict with other Italians, their eventual conquest, their absorption of land and then finally the, the folding of Italians into Roman citizen body. Um, everything we know about that came from from not the Italians themselves. So again, we don't even know what they actually wanted. Uh, the sources say that they wanted you know, this freedom, this libertas, but 
Um, but what the Allies, I mean, so it may very well have been that they did want independence, but we don't know this because nothing they wrote remains, if they ever wrote anything at all. It's not all ancient peoples were historically minded. So that's it's something that needs to be acknowledged. Okay. Um, so, so I think you, so you, you mentioned uh, where we sort of left off and the chronology was, uh, and I might have the um, pronunciation slightly off, but the first name was Mar Marcius, and I believe you said 91, and please, um, uh, you know, expand on that as needed in, the, uh, in your response. But he was, he was working on, a, on some land deals, it sounded like, and then he was, it sounds like, um, uh, murdered in Rome. So then, and you said uh, basically that was the straw that um, the, began, began the war. So do you want to take it from there? Yeah, so um, while Drusus was still alive, uh, the Allies apparently were, were considering that this would be another Roman um, you know, bait and switch. So they began to talk amongst themselves while, of course, doing it very, very secretly, lest the Romans send in the legions to, you know, to, to stop this sort of thing. Uh, they began to form what might be called a conspiracy or um, gather together. They, they began to, uh, to draw closer together such that um, they would have a plan for if the citizenship offer were snatched away again. And they did this more or less in secret, uh, worked out what the arrangement of the alliance was going to be. And from what I can gather, we're apparently planning on spending the winter of 91 and beginning of winter of 90 gathering their, their troops as secretly as they could possibly do it for an all-out war with Rome, but they were surprised in their plotting. Um, some agents tipped off a Roman consul that they were that they were doing this sort of thing, or actually I think it was a praetor, I believe it was, <clears throat> who was... Uh, who went to uh, to Picenum, to Asculum in, uh, in Picene territory, where there were all these things that were going on, and he decided to address the populace and say, you know, we know something's going on, uh, you better stop it if you know what's good for you. And at this point, the 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 Osculani, who were uh, Piscean in origin, um, they thought, well, the Romans are on to us, so we might as well start now. And they, they killed this guy, this praetor, and they killed his assistants and, um, after this harangue. And from that point, I mean, they, they declared the alliance, if you will, raised its flag. Um, but nothing else happened because this was right in, at the end of 91. I believe it was in November or something like that. And winter was about to set in. And it tended to be the case that in the ancient world, you didn't wage war in the wintertime if you could avoid it. And the Romans would have been completely unprepared. So they used their time, much the same way the Allies did, to gather together all of their all of their uh, their weapons and all of that to raise their armies. Of course, they'd have to raise their armies without the Allies, pretty big undertaking. And the Allies raised their army. So the, the, the first year of the war was 91, but only because this massacre in Asculum happened. No other significant events of a military nature occurred during this this year although there were diplomatic ones okay so um what yeah so let's what's known and and i 
so what's known about the uh, the diplomacy then that that occurred over the over the winter time? Well, there are, is a source that reports, and it was Appian, I think, reports this, uh, that the Allies sent a series of negotiators to negotiate on walk with the Romans, and they basically said, um, war's coming, but it doesn't have to come. If you'll give us what we want, which is to be Roman citizens, then there will be no, no further conflict. And the... Romans very arrogantly sent them away, saying, uh, you're, not, you're not coming to us as equals because we aren't equals. You should come to us as suppliants, begging our mercy for what you've done in Asculum. And once we have punished the, those who are guilty of that, which could have included anyone, um, then, we'll, then, then you could come and make your little, little demands. And so the Allies, basically despairing of there being a peaceful solution to this, went back to preparing for war. What uh, what what major groups are are known then? What what communities or states are are known to have been part of that initial uh, alliance that uh, I believe you said uh, like raised raised a raised a flag? I don't know if that was metaphorical or or, or not, but. <laughs> Yeah, that was a metaphor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there were there were several communities, and this is going to be embarrassing. I can't remember all of them. I'm sure okay. that I'll okay. you know, after this conversation is over, I'll think of the one that I, I missed and have a moment of staircase with. Don't sweat it. <laughs> but uh, the uh, the major ones when the war finally erupted, because the Etruscans came in a little bit later. But the major ones in the uh, in the alliance when the war erupted were, well, the, 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 for the longest time, the Romans referred to this war as the Bellum Marsicum, uh, the, the Marsic War. So the Marsi were a, a significant, the, the movers and shakers of this war, if you will. The Marsi were one. Um, the Samnites and Lucani in the south were two others. On the western coast of Italy, there were the Osculani, who were basically a Piceni. Um, there were another group of people called the Marocini to the south and the Westini to the south, which are also along the western coast of Italy. And uh, there were the uh, Ap- uh, the Apulians, and uh, I think those are the only ones. Th- those are the ones that I can remember. Again, you know, about an hour from now, I'm going to remember the ones that I I, I couldn't uh, couldn't get back to you about. I think they were the, they were the, the ones that um, that that joined the first alliance and uh, initially there were six members that uh, eventually there were slightly more than that and you know they once they they combined for this if you will confederacy or this alliance um they were in it to win um they you know they uh, they decided to found a common base of operations in a city called corfidium which they renamed italia um they uh, commissioned commanders and overall generals. They uh, they even passed sort of these laws that were binding on everyone in, in the alliance. Nothing major, but the, the only thing of which we have record of this, uh, they had a, a council of war, which Roman writers insisted on calling the Senate. Um, but the, the, the only thing that, that, that they ever actually did is they decreed that bodies would be buried where they fell. So they issued a common coinage, um, 
So, yeah, the, those are the major members of the alliance. Okay, and what would the... Um, yeah, and in that episode with Dr. Santangelo that I'd mentioned in the introduction, uh, he mentioned a coalition being formed. So are, are, are those... Are, are, are we talking about the same the same things? This alliance would also be the, co- the, the coalition? Yeah, it was a coalition of, of various different Italian okay. people who initially had been independent, so they were willing to... But they were in... Again, we don't know if this coalition was to form a separate state. Um, you know, if it came down to that, if the Romans would never accept them as, as citizens, if they would just simply say, well, they would bid farewell to the Romans and form their own state, or if that had been their aim for, uh, from, the, from the beginning, which I don't think it was. Um, but they definitely came together as this coalition, if you will, this confederacy, for the purpose of fighting the war. Well, yeah, what's interesting is um, you, you, you mentioned they're, they're starting to print, um, starting to create, create coinage. And uh, yeah. it, cer- certainly the contours of a state is getting a little firmer at that point when a group is starting to print uh, currency. Well, I mean, that's, that's, and that's a, an argument that is sometimes used to suggest that they always wanted independence. But on the other hand, they had soldiers who they needed to pay. And, I mean... For the previous century, the Romans had gradually, and probably going back even further than that, the Romans had gradually arrogated, if you will, as, the, as probably the, the best word, they had gradually taken upon themselves to issue all the currency that was used in, in the stretch of their empire. And apparently the Allies were all right with this because, you know, they, they were going I mean, they were going to be trading with Romans anyway. They might as well just use their coinage. But Roman coins had... Roman images on them and if you're going to pay your soldiers you don't necessarily want to pay them with the coins of the enemy so what they basically did is they melted down all these Roman coins and restruck them with allied images and the, the images were always those of victory Italia, like the goddess Italia on one side and victory was the, were, were, the, were the main motifs there was a, this one image that's my favorite of um all the allies gathered together over a, a pig that had been sacrificed and these sort of stick figures representing all the nations of the Italians raising their swords as an oath. Uh, the, the, the idea is clear that they had united for this war and they weren't going to desert it until, until they won it. So it's not necessarily that they were forming a state. Um, they were forming a, a military operation that would need money and it's made sense to issue money with their own images on it. Does that make sense? It does, and so they were actually. So there's evidence. So the coin coins, for instance, there's evidence of them using the term Italia. Oh yes. Okay. And, oh, yes. Okay. And would would Italy and then it, Italy uh, be a uh, derivation, a derivative of I- Italia? Yeah, the Romans had. I mean, the, the the Latin language had long used the word Italia to describe the peninsula. Um, I, th- I believe it was Bismarck who once said that uh, Italy was a geographical expression. And that's basically what it was, too. But this is one of the first times that we see Italia being used to describe all the peoples in it as a, if you will, political unit or as a cultural unit. Yeah, so yeah, the, Italia was definitely that, that word. And the similar word in Oscan, which is Italia, were used on coinage. Yeah, so not anachronistic 
to use uh, Italian in this context or not, not fully anachronistic to use the term Italy? Yeah, not at all. Okay. Um, so do you want to cover what's known about the total number of soldiers that would have been on both sides? So the, the um, Rome on one side and the, 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 the alliance on the, um, the, the alliance coalition on the other side. And, and then you want to work into um, what the rest of the year, basically what, what's, what's known if there was any other key events, um, uh, military uh, or diplomatic? Uh, we, ha we do have an indication. Appian says that the Allies amongst themselves raised about 100,000 men. And this was just before the hostilities were well and truly launched in the year 90. Um, and the Romans raised a similar number, which again would have been a you know, pretty interesting feat not that the Romans didn't have the population, because they did, but they had so long relied on allied contributions. And another critical um, diplomatic event is that Rome's oldest allies, and I believe I'm on pretty safe ground to say this, were the Latins, the Latini, uh, of whom the Romans themselves were a, the most powerful representatives. They had been allied to the Romans as far back as the 400s. And they decided to send this one out um, because they wanted citizenship too. Uh, and when the Romans went to them for men, as they were wont to do, the Italian, uh, the, the Latins basically said, nope. Um, you know, they didn't say, we will fight you, but they didn't say, we'll fight for you either. So you know, for the first time in a long time, the Roman army that thought the Allies consisted entirely of Romans. Citizens who sometimes had never served, I mean, had never done any military service at all. I mean, because then again, they relied, I mean, they, they, you know, the, the Romans had a hardcore of veterans, but many of their soldiers were untried recruits. And it sort of explains the rather terrible performance the Roman army put, put in in the year 90. And the Italians, a much greater percentage of their number had been soldiers at one point because the Roman demand for them had been relentless. So they had more experienced soldiers. Of course, they fought with the same weapons that the Romans did. They fought with the same tactics. It might be argued that the Italians had a better Roman army than the Romans did, at least in the year 90. Interesting. So, and I want to make sure I have the numbers correct then. Is it uh, uh, hundred? Yeah, can you go over the numbers again that, that's uh, believed yeah. for both, both sides? Well, the, the, the number that's stated, and this is, pro this is almost certainly to be comparatively accurate, was about 100,000 on both sides. Okay. So 100,000 on the Roman side, 100,000 on the Italian side. Okay. Yeah, I heard the 100,000. Yeah, yeah. so it was on, it was on uh, both, both sides. So at least... Yeah, 100,000 apiece. Uh, yeah. yeah, at least uh, evenly matched somewhat in terms of quantity, but scholars uh, believe that the, the, this, the skill... Uh, was was weighted more um, with the with the allies. It appears they were more battle battle wrought over the years. Oh yes, oh yes. Um, the Romans, it can be argued, had better generals, though they didn't have those either. Um, at least not in that first year. They made a fearful mess of it. But in terms of quality of soldiers, it would be pretty safe to assume that the allies actually had the better of it until the Romans began to get seasoned. Okay. Uh, anything else that you feel? Uh, should be covered in this episode, Seth, when looking at uh, 
any major uh, military campaigns in that that first year or diplomatic um, and and uh, you know r- roughly you know 12 months or, or 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 so I know some of the stuff needs to be circa but is there anything else that you want to make sure gets into this uh, episode today no the the politics in Rome in, in year 91 leading up culminating the massacre at Asculum and the overture the diplomatic overtures and the raising of soldiers were basically the way year 91 went you did a terrific job in this episode, Seth, really um, laying the, the groundwork um, for the um, uh, to have have dialogues about this this uh, this particular war and to create uh, sufficient sufficient background. Thank you for coming on the show today and sharing your knowledge. Well, thank you for having me. So again, everybody, the book that uh, Dr. Kendall wrote that is germane to this conversation that we just had is called The Struggle for Roman Citizenship. Romans allies in the wars of 91 to 77 BCE. I'll drop a link to it in the show notes on the Ithacabound.com's associated subpage to this episode. Seth and everybody listening as always, wishing you a marvelous journey. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Hey again, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.